Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson, Episode 3, Ulysses Farinas. another episode of Artist Proof. I'm your host, Adrian Johnson, and today's conversation is with cartoonist and writer Ulysses Farinas. But before we get into uh, the conversation with Ulysses, I did want to mention that this episode is produced by Anasima Studios, LLC. Anasima Studios is my personal studio, um, and in addition to producing this podcast, Um, My studio actually produces commercial art, uh, comic books, uh, fine art paintings, uh, my own creator-owned works, how redundant is that, Um, and and a host of other services that we'll be offering um, shortly, uh, such as uh, concept art and storyboarding. Uh, The website itself is under reconstruction right now to reflect those changes, but it should be up shortly. And I definitely um, invite all you guys to come and check it out um, if you're so inclined. Uh, the address is inazimastudios.com. And that's inazima, which is I-N-A-Z-U-M-A, studios, all one word, dot com. Inazima Studios is also available online at various social media outlets, uh, such as Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram. That's inazimastudios.com. Now, on to today's conversation with uh, Mr. Ulysses Farinas. Uh, He's someone that I wanted to speak with uh, for quite some time. Um, I've been following him on Facebook um, thanks to uh, his post in the feed of my other good friend, uh, Mr. Julian Lytle, uh, who was the uh, guest on episode two. speaking about, coincidentally, social media. And um, Ulysses just has a very honest, transparent view of the industry. And as a working um, cartoonist, he definitely has a vantage point and, you know, the, the, the leeway to say such things because he's, you know, witness to it. I think some of his views are, uh, um, for whatever reason, are actually controversial to some people. I personally don't know why. Um, I think it's. I think people often are not ready for bracing honesty, you know. But when you're trying to work in the industry that is, let's be honest, that is niche as making comics and cartoons in these very hard economic times, you know, and to try to eke out a living at it, the one bedrock that you can hold on to is honesty about the profession so that you can proceed with that in mind and navigate these very, these very tough waters, you know. And uh, we just speak on that um, during the conversation, um, as well as a host of other issues that I think you'll get a lot out of um, as far as food for thought 
um, as it relates to the state of the comics industry, um, equality or lack thereof in the industry. Uh, we talk about the paradigm versus writer and artist, um, something that's come up uh, within the past within the past few months uh, for for some reason. And then also um, the the loser mentality that seems to have always pervaded comics. Um, and, and by my estimation, I would say that you know it's been there since at least the '80s, and definitely has um, has become much more prevalent. You know, as the decades have worn on. Um, so we speak on all of that. Uh, Ulysses is, as I mentioned, a working cartoonist, and he's done work for a number of companies. Um, he's worked for Dynamite, IDW, Image, Dark Horse as well as Marvel, on books such as Transformers, Hearts of Darkness, Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, Glory, Catalyst, Captain Victory and his Galactic Rangers, and a host of others. You can check his work out online at UlyssesFarinas.com, which is his hub for everything, uh, his social media outlets, um, his blogging, uh, his romance advice, and trust me, it's, it's, it's really cool, um, and his Tumblr page, as well as his Patreon page. Um, definitely head to UlyssesFardinas.com. Um, check out all of his wares. Check out all of his ponderings. Um, I think you'll get, definitely get something out of it as well. And, and as we'll mention in the episode, um, I did want to mention, definitely check out his Tumblr page um, in regards to a, um, a lecture that he gave a few months ago uh, when he was uh, a, an attendee, a guest attendee, um, at a uh, comic convention in Greece, in Athens, Greece. And the title of his lecture was um, Being Unethical to Succeed in Comics. And I know the title may throw a lot of people, but check out the essay itself. Um, well, check out the lecture itself that has been transcribed as an essay, I should say. Um, it's a great read. It's something that definitely gives you um, pause to think about. And again, I think people just are not, you know, ready to have that bracing honesty or to say things that go counter against what the indus the industry would have you believe. You know that you know the industry is benevolent and so forth, and a lot of in in, in a lot of ways it's not. You know, and so you know reading this, reading um, this essay by Ulysses really brings it into focus, and I, I I think I think you know those who read it and get it, they will get something out of it. You know, and you'll proceed with caution, but also proceed boldly. You know, um, so definitely check that out. Um, lastly, um, we also talk about this in the episode. Um, Ulysses actually is, um, he, it was announced that he's going to be credited as the writer on a couple of new books coming out from IDW. Um, one of which is Judge Dredd, Mega City Zero, which he'll be credited as writer, along with his writing partner, uh, Eric Fritas, as well as The Amazing Forest, which actually is not totally brand new, um, Ulysses and um, Mr. Fritas um, actually had this online for a few years. Um, it was available at Comixology via Monkey Brain Comics. Um, but now they're bringing it from the digital realm to the print realm um, through IDW. 
And both of those projects should be out, I believe, by the end of this year or early next year, um, if, if, um, if, if I remember correctly from what Ulysses told me. So definitely be on the lookout for those. And support his Patreon page if you're so inclined. Um, I, I pop my $5 at the end of every month. And um, I'm a big Judge Dredd fan, and he's been, you know, offering for, you know, for those $5, um, you know, thumbnails, um, behind-the-scenes design works, um, close-ups of his inking, his penciling, his whole process uh, for the um, last Judge Dredd um, series that, um, that he did, uh, Judge Dredd Mega City 2. I mean, it's really cool, and for somebody who's a big um, Dredd fan like myself, um, I, I really enjoy seeing that stuff, and you know, and I'll admit I'm just a process junkie. Hey, what what can I say? Um, but yes, um, definitely, you know, check out, you know, all of his wares and everything. And if you're so inclined, you know, support support the man. And um, yeah, with that, let's just get into it. This is episode three of Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson, and this is my conversation with Mister Ulysses Farinas. Welcome back to another episode of Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson, and my guest tonight is Ulysses Farinas. Uh, what's going on, sir? How you doing? I'm just hanging out tonight. Cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, you're somebody that I wanted to talk to for a while, and um, you know, the listeners are... They, they aren't privy to this, and I'll just go ahead and put myself on blast right here. Um, we're, we're actually back again for the first time, you know, so to speak. You know, I had tried to speak to Ulysses a couple of months ago, and uh, through a rookie mistake of mine, you know, first-time podcaster, <laughs> I forgot to hit the record button, so I was just like, oh, no. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, I... You know, I got got some hairs on my chest. Now I know what I'm doing, so we good. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, I guess I'll start off, man. With um, I know that you headed out to San Diego a, a couple of weeks ago, and you um had a couple of um couple of announcements as far as like books that are getting ready to come out. Um, why don't you, why don't you tell the listeners what what you got coming out? What what was announced at San Diego? They announced, uh, well, first and foremost, they, none of the books they announced are, are me drawing it. It's just me writing all these books with Eric Freitas. Okay. Uh, which is kind of a, a, a change for me, because every time I go to San Diego, it's always, as an artist, this is the first time I was really there feeling it like a, like a writer, you know? Like, and I've been really, I'm really to establish myself as a writer in comics. Huh. So they announced uh, Mega City Zero. Yeah. Uh, by from for Judge Dredd, which is going to be the new series at IDW. Yeah, and me and the creators are going to be writing that, and also um, IDW. This is all IDW is uh, publishing uh, Amazing Forest, which we've been we've been putting this comic out there for the last year uh, on Comicsology through Monkey Monkey Brain. Mm-hmm. Now it's finally going to get to a, you know hopefully a wider audience uh, can actually see what we've actually been hustling on for the last. Like a whole, almost like two years now, we've really been working on this comic, and you know, I, I'm happy to see you know what people are actually how people are going to react to it when it's on the shelves. Ah, cool, cool. Okay, so, so I guess the initial, as far as like Amazing Forest, will it be um, the same material that was presented um, online with any additional new material, or just you'll start adding new material once you go through what was uh, initially presented? Well. We're we're gonna leave with like the best and brightest comics we have because you know 
because it's uh it's being published we don't have as much space as if we were publishing it digitally which you know you can put as many as you want yeah so we're really kind of we're really trying to showcase some of our favorite stories and you know all of them are really good stories mm-hmm. uh but there's some of that you know like Ran, you know, rang a little closer to our hearts. We really, you know, like we read them later and we start laughing at them and forgetting. Whoa, we actually, I really like this one a lot. Um, so it's gonna be those stories and all all new covers by me. I'm gonna be drawing every cover. Ah, okay, cool, cool. Now, as far as the writing tip, like like you mentioned, I know that you know you're, you're primarily known as being like you know this really this really great artist, man. And so I know. When I was speaking to you after the fact on uh, Facebook, you were saying that you may have like a couple of announcements coming out of San Diego. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, like you had intimated that it was going to be, you know, art, art related, you know, but to see that, you know, it's not one, but two writing credits, you know, being announced mm-hmm. there. Um, w- was it a conscious effort to try and make a segue into writing, you know, in addition to. Uh, just the artwork as well, as far as like you know, going forward with with your comics career. Yeah, well, it's like I've always been a storyteller, and for me, what's more important is getting the stories out there. And you just can't really do that if you're you know if you're an artist, especially like how I work, which is I do really detailed. These these pages take like five days sometimes for one page. Yeah, I'm simply not able to do the amount of output I want to do as, as like a professional cartoonist. Like I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of stories I need to be telling and I can, you know, I can't wait on myself. You know, mm. I, have, I have to get that stuff out there. And, and also like career wise, it's just a smarter move to be a writer in comics. Cause writers are the ones that get all the, all the love, all the attention, you know, no matter how hard you work on a comic as an artist, you're always considered second to the writer, which, you know, is a little bit of bull, but, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, like, how I'm going to do it, I'm not going to sit here and, like, complain about it. I'm just going to become a writer. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, that's interesting, too, because you, you are starting to see, like, this paradigm shift. I, I would actually gather to say within the past, probably within the past five years, you know, um, I would think of like more and more, you know, artists taking on the writing reins as well and truly embracing more of that cartoonist aspect of being a writer artist, you know, being more of a complete cartoonist and getting their own projects out there. You know, it just seems like the climate is right for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you know, I think like the best writer in, in, in anything, the best writer in comics, is always, you know, would always be a great cartoonist. You know, like if you already know the language of cartooning and you, and then you can, and you can figure out how to tell a story and tell a compelling story, then you have such a leg up on writers who don't know how to draw at all. Mm. You know, because the artist already knows, for me, I, I consider that the artist does the majority of a work on any comic book. No matter what comic book it is, the writer is maybe like, 30% of the effort sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. it, it depends on the, on, the, on the partnership. It depends on the collaboration. But I've definitely worked on books where I put a lot of myself in there and, I was, you know, and, and, and it's still labeled as, like, that writer's book. Mm-hmm. Even to the extent, like, you go, you go on Amazon.com, you know, if, you go to, if, you're, if you're a creator, you've got to, you know, put in, like, your information for your author's page. And they would not credit the cartoonist on comic book for their comic book. Really? 
Yeah, I had to go in there and email them, and they try to tell me, and you know, I haven't even pursued this because I was like, what a headache. But they tell me I need to, I need to send in a submission form for every individual issue of a comic I've worked on. Oh man! And I'm like, nah. Look at the book. Does it say my name? Put that in there as the author. Like that's ridiculous for me to go through every issue of Catalyst and be like, hey, I'm in this one. Hey, I'm in this one. Hey, I'm in this. <laughs> because the writer doesn't have to do that. Right. Man, you know, and, and that's interesting because also hand in hand with more of that paradigm shift of more artists embracing a writer role and becoming more of a cartoonist, you do have like this um, section in um, Comic Dumb, like in recent in recent months, I would say that that's how hot, you know, the debate is uh, right now um, in terms of, you know, people feeling like that, you know, writers versus artists you know these two different disciplines are kind of butting heads in terms of you know um not not just you know credit but also you know um the split as far as like the book as far as like you know uh respect of their crafts you know um because there was like a time like a decade ago where you know it was artists it was very artist-centric and yeah. after that, it's very writer-centric now. And I think right now, people are just having... Creators are just really coming to grips with that and working to reconcile that. But it just seems like it's a it's a difficult marriage for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a little bit of the fall of, of the writers being irresponsible and not kind of pushing back against that. So, like, when someone gives them credit for something and that credit's not due, they don't correct you know, whatever publication it is and says, hey, no, make sure you put my artist in there. Make sure you talk about the artist. You know, make sure that, like, the artist is getting the credit when, you know, like, say, like, the character design of a, of a comic book uh, character is like, no, no, I had no nothing to do with that character design. That was the artist. He created that. Or, like, just even, like, the pacing of a page a lot of times is up to the, the cartoonist to determine, like, where to put the, the camera, like, the the close-up shots the far you know like all those things are determined a lot by the by the cartoonist and writers i think need to be a little bit more proactive of of sharing that credit and not taking all the shine from it yeah yeah and you know some um i've i've you know read some arguments you know recently where it's like you know some of the artists say well you know i already was a writer and, and it's kind of what you were saying earlier about being a storyteller that when you are a complete cartoonist yeah you are actually writing a story you may not be writing a full script or something like that but you are writing as far as controlling the pacing um as far as like you know really visualizing the situation the scenes body language there's a lot you know that goes into writing that's not just you know the words and handing handing an artist the script you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and i think people are just really just now um, trying to, like I said, reconcile that, you know, when there's really no gulf at all to cross, it's just discipline and you can combine those disciplines into the ultimate discipline, which is cartooning, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you look at like, like film and no one looks at the screenwriters, well, like it's, it's very rare that the screenwriter is considered more important than say like the director or the actors in a movie. Yeah. You know? But in cartooning, when the cartoonist is the director and the actor, it's the screenwriter that gets all the attention. It's like, yeah, not not trying to diminish either of them, but you know, how many people would read a like 
a comic book writer without the the pictures accompanying it. You know, if, if someone was like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm just doing this prose novel, and I'm a comic book writer," how many of us wouldn't even ch- pick that up? Right, right. The majority of these writers, you would never look twice at if they didn't have a cartoonist attached to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, and you know, you do see a lot of um, uh, writers who aren't writer artists. You know, um, making making. Um, connections in terms of you know finding uh someone uh another artist or a cartoonist to you know team up with uh, that's another thing that you're seeing a lot of you know in terms of you know teaming up you know consistently with one writer and one artist you know and they just do the projects that way um i know myself personally i, I definitely agree that you know i i think more artists should aim to be um cartoonists you know to really write their own material in addition to drawing you know that's just the tradition you end up seeing a little bit of the difference because what ends up happening is the people who can be writers are the ones who are have a little bit more disposable income have a little bit more disposable time and that ends up creating a, a, a definitely a, a class separation mm. In the industry itself, you know, like where you're where you're hanging out, you're just like, how did this writer get so big so fast? And you're just like, oh, because someone else was paying for it. Where if you're a cartoonist, you don't have a time for anything else. If you're the artist, you have no time for anything else but just the art. Mm-hmm. And you have to make a really big decision. Like, are you going to live really poor on your art or are you going to get a day job and then you can't draw at all? Mm, exactly. You know, people People look at that, you know. If you really want to look at, like, why writers tend to be, like, you know, a lot of white guys and stuff like that, you can kind of see where the, the silver spoon makes a difference in, certain, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a really um, great point, a really great perspective that, like you said, a lot of people don't take into consideration just the, you know, just the intensive labor. I mean... Sometimes it's a labor of love, you know, depending if you're working on your own stuff. But oftentimes it's like a necessity, you know, like, you know, in terms of maintaining your lifestyle or just shit, just trying to live. You know what I'm saying? And I know that that was something that you had brought up too um, at another convention that you had uh, attended um, a couple of months prior to San Diego. And uh, this was a convention in uh, Athens, Greece, I I I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um you had actually given a, a great lecture, a great lecture and um at that convention called Being Unethical to Succeed in Comics. And <laughs> and, and you know and you know the thing is, Ulysses <laughs> a lot of people a, a, a lot of fans I don't know, this like this whole community is very um almost on like a hair trigger if there's something like, you know, espoused that goes even slightly against what's what's been perceived as normal, you know. Yeah. And I know that you know this particular lecture. Um, you, you know, if 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 the listeners out there want to look it up, um, it's being unethical to uh, succeed in comics, and you find a transcript of it on uh, Ulysses's. Uh, I, that's not even proper English <laughs> on uh, on his blog, you know, and um, it's a great read. And again, it really posits um, some thoughts that people don't consider, you know, when thinking about, you know, how cartoonists and artists like, you know, 
try to live uh, and try to have a lifestyle off of off of their labor with this. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, one thing in particular that I honed in on was like the portion where you talk about like a loser mentality, you know, Mm -hmm. and the reason I zoomed in on that is, is that I really feel like that type of thing is what's almost too prevalent in comics. And, Mm -hmm. and it's not just the, for lack of a better word, you know, the navel gazing, you know, type of comics, you find that even in the mainstream, like, you know, we would never deign, you know, to stand up on our hind legs and ask for something better, you know, or ask for a, a, a better page rate or better, you know, conditions or benefits or what have you. It's almost like, you know, once you get in, you're expected to kind of be like grateful that you're in and don't ask for anything more. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that kind of like where you were coming from with that or that, that, that that's what you were kind of, you know, perceiving. No, that's exactly what I like. It's it's a it's a it's a system. It's like a lot of times the people you hear a lot of times people say, "Oh, don't talk." Like, you know, even if like in not not just comics, but just like in your job, mm. in like regular people's jobs, like it, you're encouraged to not talk about like your in, your individual salaries. You know, like don't talk about money. People are like, "Oh, it's tacky to talk about money." Mm-hmm. You know, and they have this 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 way of of being where it's just like. Oh, you don't talk about money because the people who have money don't want you to know that they're making more than you. That's the only thing. Right. It always just protects the people who who are you know who are the haves and the have-nots. It has to be a secret. And it's like you always want to keep the people you're exploiting ignorant of their exploitation. You don't want them to join up. You don't want them to talk to each other about what's happening because if they do, then they can organize and they can actually you know, be an effective uh, force mm-hmm. to actually change their, their situation. So the people, all the people in like the, this whole loser mentality, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a, it's a narrative that's spun by the people who are in charge so that they think, so it's like, so, so it's like, they're like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm in the same situation as you. It's like, you're not in the same situation as me. You, you know, you have a, you bought a house. Mm-hmm. You paid your college tuition off. You're making like bank over here, and you don't even make comics. All you do is, you know, put my shit up on Twitter. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have people who are publicists, and like, you know, like not. And this is not to like hate on these people's careers to say that these careers are unnecessary. But when the people who are making the majority of income in comics are not the creators of the comics, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't like they don't like you to say that. They don't like you to say that out loud and be like, "Oh, well, I really don't think you deserve." Because that's really what you're saying to them. I don't think you deserve to make more money than I do since I make your product. Mm. I make your job possible. Without me, you don't have a job. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I can see how that would go hand in hand with um, some people just getting to the point where they just get frustrated with that. You know, like you do have. Um, it's, it's a few creators. It's not quite the, the movement that um, that I think should be galvanized as of yet. But you do have um, some creators just being like, you know what? It would actually be more profitable to me to do my own thing. You know, like even if I have a little bit of a, of a name or somewhat of a cachet, you know, in mainstream comics or whatnot, maybe I can parlay that into my own thing and put that out there. And see what happens. And you know, there there have been um, 
certain successes with that, you know, and I think just the effort of doing it too, that's important. Like everyone wants to see if somebody else does something first, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people think about doing certain things, but it takes them seeing, oh, so-and-so did it. Okay. It might be a fluke. He might fail or whatnot. Then they see another person do it. And it's like, okay, all right. Okay. This might actually be possible. And then from there, a movement is galvanized, you know, but you know, what ends up happening is that the people who are successful in comics tend to be the same people who have been successful in comics from the beginning. It's the same group of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what we, what you want is like, yeah, we want people to do a new thing, but it always it seems to happen that the new things that are, that make it economically possible for people to make money seems to always benefit one group of people. And it's the people who didn't, you know, weren't that hurting to begin with? You know, you know, when like when you're when you're a cartoonist, it's like to make that transition. It's, there's a bit of gatekeeping of being like, hey, you know, you just stay in your lane over here. We're gonna keep telling you these same stories over and over again. Yeah. So, like you have like even like Image, which is like a great publisher, but how much is Image becoming just as refuge for established writers from Marvel and DC? Mm, mm. You know, it's like. There's really not that much room for new voices. These are the same voices we've been hearing for the last 20 years. Damn. You know what? That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, the these books are bad, but a lot of times it's like, I'm not even talking quality. I'm just talking about just the diversity of voices to begin with. It's the same type of voices, the same type of stories. So even when it's a good story, it's like, yeah, but I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, I, and I wonder if that is also an issue as well, if, you know, be, because the, the industry is so transparent nowadays, like it used to be when when we were growing up, you know, you would maybe read something in a magazine or something like that, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't divulge or even come remotely close to telling you what it was really like, you know, it's more like, you know, here are the creators doing these stories, you know, this is what's coming out next month and that's it, but just through social media and the way the world is now, everything is so transparent. So you can almost see how the sausage is made. And I wonder if that deters um, um, new voices, like truly new voices, like you're intimating, you know, like names that we haven't heard before, bringing experiences and their own styles to the industry. If that Mm -hmm. just kind of discourages them from even coming to, you know, not even a mainstream or even wanting to get into, like, the game in the first place, you know? I think it does discourage a lot of people. I think, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of reasons why you, you see just certain types of voices at, like, conventions. When you see, you know, certain panels. Well, recently, um, there was a, another panel at, like, Gen Con or something that was about writing for women in comics that only had men on it. Wow. You know, and that, this is not the first time that's happened. And, you know, they had their reasons and like they weren't like the worst reasons. They did. They did make an honest effort to contact um, some female creators, but an honest effort and you still didn't get anyone. I find it hard to believe like you can you can just keep digging and you see stuff like happens like, like that all the time. It's like when people do speak up online when people, you know, do talk about this stuff. It is often met with hostility from either fans right. or hostility from other professionals. But when you see these established guys, they mess up. You don't hear any of the professionals come out against them. Mm-hmm. It goes ranks, you know. So you'll you know you'll have someone like Mark Wade who totally fucked up with that Strange Fruit comic, and like 
no, you know, it's almost like silence from the publisher. And it's like, I, you know, I like a lot of books at Boom. I like, you know, I've, I've liked Mark Wade, you know. But when you see like something like that, there's like a really obvious misstep that they could have easily corrected by just, you know, talking to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of having this bubble of their own, like, influence. If they actually, you know, went out of their way to actually listen to different voices, then maybe that misstep wouldn't have happened. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and I agree. And yeah. When you're on the outside and you see stuff like that and you see how the sausage is being made and you see that the sausage is made in that way, what makes you think, like, if, if you're, like, a person of color and you want to work at Boom, what would make you think that you're welcome there? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's kind of the, if that's the kind of environment that let that book come out. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and, and I think about that too. I mean, just as far as uh, just speaking for myself, you know, because while I, I don't necessarily want to work for Marvel or DC per se, you know, I do think about that when um, looking to, I guess, get into the industry, you know, quote unquote, you know, because I mean, comics is one of the few industries where a lot of the stuff that they do is just so backwards. I mean. Every other every other industry kind of adapts. Like, sure, they'll have their missteps, but it's more of a misstep, not in terms of the culture. It's more of a misstep in terms of like the production of making a better version of their product, or you know, the evolution of what they want to do, their mission statement. But only in comics do you have it's a misstep of culture, you know. Um, yeah. And, and and it's a misstep in terms of you know the um the the the, the creators and the whole um um not just culture in terms of social culture but the culture within the industry itself like the the hierarchical structure and everything like that so it's it's just really weird and I could definitely see how that would you know deter you know um a lot of people from wanting to get into that. But even the people that still want to get into it still kind of abide by the same old ways that just don't work anymore, you know? And, and well, it's like, it's an enforced boys club, you know? And mm-hmm. like a boys club, you know? It's like not even like a man's club. <laughs> if it was some grown-ass man shit, but um, it's like, it's juvenile-type humor and juvenile-type thought where it's like, People who will be responding to, you know, you're making like some, you know, people are making some really intelligent criticism and they're responding with like threats and tantrums and how dare you try to censor me mm-hmm. kind of reaction. Where it's like, what are you, 12? No one's censoring you. <laughs> right. That's what criticism is. You know, you don't, you don't see like uh, Ridley Scott doing that like, um, Exodus movie having a tantrum on Twitter. You don't see Eden <laughs> having a tantrum on Twitter. Yeah, he's not over here responding to every single critic being like, no, no, no. But really, I am, I am feminist. <laughs> you know, he just kind of tunes it out. He's like, look, I'm gonna get off of Twitter. You know, that's what he did when um when that that last uh, Avengers movie came out. He just bounced off of Twitter for like a day, and then he was that he was cool with it. Mm-hmm. But you see these guys in comics now, and they all have two-week-long outrages. And then they say that outrage culture is, is silencing them. Mm. Exactly. It's, it's insane. It's a, it's a very little boy reaction. 
when like Frank Cho is responding by drawing even more sexist cartoons, it's like you're really twelve years old. You're really twelve years old right now. Yeah, and you know, and and, and you know, you bring up a good point, man. Like it's some, it's something that I actually think about as well <laughs> that I consider also, uh, just in terms of by extension. But uh, of of the um the, the the type of material that that is you know king of of the industry right now you know being like superhero comics you know primarily you know I I do wonder if that not just by itself alone exclusively but I wonder if that somehow engenders that that kind of like extended or or arrested adolescence in in a sense because you know that's the that's the paradox of cartooning in a way. You're doing certain material that may be considered juvenile or aimed towards, you know, uh, a certain age bracket. But it's like you almost need, no, you do need grown-ass, experienced men and women to do the stuff. To have enough craft and somewhat life experience to actually put out the stuff with the commercial quality or what have you. But but yet to uh, maintain that thing, you do have to almost... Not you don't have to have an adolescent mindset, but it just seems like it's just still prevalent regardless, you know. And I always thought that that was just a just a just the interesting paradox, man. Well, it's like the barrier for entry when it comes to just the quality level of books in comics is so low it might as well be non-existent. There, there are comics out there that are almost completely unreadable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for the most part, don't really read comics anymore because it became too frustrating for me to have to, you know, dig through garbage just to get uh, a, like a, a high school to college level reading experience. Yeah. I'm being generous. Most of the time, it's an elementary to high school level reading experience. And this is not just, you know, Marvel and DC. This is almost every that's in your local comic book shop is not written at any type of uh, advanced level. You know, so it's like what what is the barrier for entry is who you know and who people are cool with. And, you know, it ends up being like very small group. And once again, it's a boys club. It's a very like, you know, middle America or very uh, well, you know, suburban um, Midwestern type of exp- uh, approach to, you know, type of personality. So mm-hmm. people who play, you know, different countries or radically different experiences, where, whether they grew up really poor or, you know, they might be trans or Indian or, you know, fucking aliens. I don't, you know, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when, it, when it's someone who cannot go up to that group, and this is what I was saying, I was saying at San Diego Comic Con, I was in a group of people, I was like, there is an aggression to just approaching a group of similarly aged, similarly colored men at a, on a floor and thinking they're going to accept me. There's a certain aggression to that. that how, how comfortable can you be if you're, if, if you're radically different from them when you see them, you know, their backs are towards you, they're all making jokes, they're, you know, they're all like maybe 35 to 55 years old, and they look at you and they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Is that a help? You know, oh. like, that's how they'll, and that's, and, but the, the, the truth is that they do look at you like that a lot of times. And, like, I'm lucky because for the most part, I look like them. So they, they you know, they, they act a little bit differently with me, but I, I see it all the time the way, the way, the way this, this community closes ranks 
and the way it let in the way it lets people in. It's not on quality. It's not on talent. It's about who they look like. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and I know that that's become a a, a bigger issue to the, to the point where now it's just like um, it's definitely at a boiling point. You know, just even from you know Marvel and the whole thing. You know, with these um, hip hop you know cover mashups. You know, by yeah. our mutual friend. You know, Julian Lytle and uh, his his friends uh, Kenny Kale and Sean Cosley. You know, even down to like 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 we're you know intimating here just trying to get in you know it, it's just it's just difficult and you know you do wonder like man you know is the, is the future really just going out and just doing your own thing much like how how you're doing you know what i'm saying just cartoon if if you're a cartoonist you, you don't need you know to put on airs you don't need to announce it you are a cartoonist do what you want to do you know, but I just still feel like a lot of people are trying to hold on to that old paradigm of let me do some sample pages. Let me submit them to Marvel and DC. Oh, they're going to say no. OK, well, I'll try again. And the, it's not like that anymore. In fact, it they don't want you to, <laughs> you know, so to speak. They don't want you to submit anything. No. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just it's just weird how how the industry is working like that now, man. But um. Well, I think like doing your own thing is only, only possible if you could do your own thing economically. You're still slave to you're still a slave to your own economics. If you can't afford to do your own thing, then you, what you're doing is doing nothing. You know what? The only thing that that you when you can't like I don't do my own thing. I do mostly work for hire. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do work for hire because it pays the bills. I would love to do creator own stuff. I would love to, you know, own my own stories. But the fact of the matter is I grew up in a way where I grew up poor. I'm still basically living, you know, month to month. And I never had the chance to take a gamble on doing my own thing and doing creator own. Doing mm-hmm. creator own is from when you got a leg up to begin with. But for me, it's always been work for hire, take the jobs I can get, and, and, and go from there. You know, but, you know, like... And this is, I think that's, that's the situation for a lot of people who are underprivileged. If they want to get into comics, it's like, one, kind of crazy to do that. But if you're going to do it anyway, yeah, you have to kind of accept that you're, you're going to take positions that directly disenfranchise your future. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I know that you also have a, a Patreon page as well. And I know a lot of, um, a lot of uh, creators and, you know... Um, not just creators and freelancers, but even just regular people too are looking to make that an avenue to um, get into not necessarily the industry, but just to get their own projects out there, you know, in terms of um, cartooning and so forth. Um, and, you know, hell, I donate to your Patreon every month. I got my $5 <laughs> right there, yo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and I, I think I think that's, while it may not be the equalizer, at least it's something. At least that's a that's an avenue. It may not be a long street, but at least that's a street that's being built that you can maybe um, you know use to you know get closer to that goal. You know, yeah, yeah. But there's a but there's a bit of a problem with that because yeah, there's these avenues, and they do allow people 
to make a living with what they want to do. But yeah. a lot of avenues are not avenues in the direction of working in comics. And that, that has to be a problem that's addressed. If, yes, we have these solutions, it's not working comics. That's not a good solution. You know, we need to make, you know, and when I say we, I mean anyone who has uh, any kind of passing interest in comics, we need to make an environment that's friendly and and invest in different voices and invest in making sure that th those different voices are profitable in the same way as those the old voices have been for such a long time. Those old voices are not profitable just because you know, just because it's a fluke. Those old voices are profitable for very specific reasons because they kept other people out of that group. Hmm. Hmm. That, that, that's an interesting you know, thought, so like, yeah. Great. Like, Kickstarter is great. But they need to, these publishers need to take a long, you know, a long, cold look in the mirror when Kickstarter is one of the biggest publishers in, in the world right now for comics, and it's with all these, you know, alternative, different stories. And it's like, oh, how come it's not us? Mm. And, and that's what I mean. Again, comics is that industry where they just they have not adapted very well at all. I mean, you're still on, you know, this um, for lack of a better word, you know, this pamphlet format that originally was just a, a piece of newspaper folded over a few times and came up with this convenient size, you know, and you know they almost yeah, don't. Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, like, you know, and they've stuck to that format as well as, you know, other, other, uh, I guess, um, um, uh, accoutrements that, you know, we've become associated to with comics. And it's just, it just seems like, you know, they don't want to change or they may try it for a season. And then it's just like, you know, they just let it just dissipate or, or just self implode, you know? Yeah. Well, so much of it is tied to the, you know, the comic book store market. It ends up just being a self-imposed ghetto. Like, kids don't read comics anymore. Not because kids don't like comics. Kids would love comics. Just kids don't see comics anywhere. Mm. You know? Kids aren't going to... If the only way you could get comics is taking your, taking your car down to the local Barnes & Noble or to whatever comic book shop is a mile away, that doesn't make sense. You know, when when all you see is like, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man toys and toothpaste everywhere else, these kids don't even know that there's comics being made of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because we, we've tied ourselves so closely to this retail market. It's like, at this point, so it's so woven together that it's like, it's hard to imagine like, what could the alternative be? But what the alternative has been is stuff like Kickstarter stuff like Patreon, Indiegogo, stuff like, you know, and uh, and digital comics. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I wonder, I wonder if, you know, how, how many, um, how many future creators are actually taking, taking advantage of that, you know, because, you know, and, and, I, and I speak frankly for myself, uh, when Kickstarter premiered and, you know, some of the other crowdfunding, you know, sites appeared, I was very, very skeptical of them. I'm just like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, this this looked like just, you know, some... <laughs> like like we say down here, this just like some okey-doke, man. I don't know. I'm not going... <laughs> like, I thought it was a pyramid scheme or something. It's like, yeah. what, what do you have to pay into it? What's up? You know, 
But you do see people, you know, using it, you know, to get their work out there. But it just seems like it, it never goes any farther than that. Like, like you're saying, you know, like, you know, well, capitalize on that. If you're starting to gain a following for that, you know, see if you can branch it out even further past your past your Kickstarter. You know what I'm saying? And I, I and I just feel like, you know, a lot of um, uh, a lot of creators, you know, aren't, aren't going past that stage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have a handful, but not not as widespread as, you know, as we would like, I would think. Well, it seems like uh, the what you see a lot of is like the web comics mm-hmm. that have become established. They do really well on Patreon and Kickstarter. And but these people have been doing well on it. So they just are doing even better. So it's like you feel a little bit jealous, but you can't really fault them because that is their hustle. They really did it, and they did it first. Yeah. You know, and then a lot of these 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 webcomic like writers and artists, they end up getting those mainstream jobs writing in for like say Marvel or DC or Boom or Image, and it's like then they're like, oh, you're like, oh, come on. So it is. A, it's a different path to it. Um, but there's, I really don't see, like, say, like, Kickstarter, I really don't see Kickstarter as being a way of, like, making a living exclusively. Like, I don't know anyone who's just like, yeah, I just live off of Kickstarter rewards. Right. I just live off my Patreon. Besides the people who are already making money off of their webcomics, and now they just found another way to easily monetize what they were already monetizing. Um... So maybe you know it might be just my ignorance. You know I might be speaking out of ignorance, which I often do. But uh, <laughs> but I, I don't. I personally don't know anyone who started on Kickstarter or started on Patreon, and that's where they that's their bread and butter. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. It's like you know they'll they'll run the, a, a successful campaign, and you know the book will come out. You know there there'll be no no wrinkles in terms of delivery. The product is great, man, and then that's it. You you know sometimes you won't even hear. Right. Well, are you doing something else? Are you coming right. back with um, anything else? You know, capitalize off of this while the iron's hot. And you know, unfortunately, you do see sometimes, a lot of times, even that they never follow up with that because you oh, would, th- yeah, because so, so many artists do these kickstarters. And then it's like five years later, they're talking about like, hey, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I haven't done, like, even me personally, I'm, I'm behind like two months online. It's not a mechanism for long-term growth and success as an artist, I don't think. It's good, like for me, my Patreon helps me put a few extra bucks in my pocket, helps me pay for like two more nights at a, of a hotel at a Comic-Con, and that's a good help. Yeah. But it's definitely... But it's definitely not going to replace anything, anything, anytime soon, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't look at, I just look at it as a supplement, and I try to keep it, you know, keep uh, the, my my patrons happy as best I can. But it's like more of it's more of just like, hey guys, you know, uh, in my head, the way I think of my Patreon is like, hey guys, I do a lot of this stuff just just for free, and you look at it. Can you just kick me a buck or two? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is. It's like I'm going to keep doing it anyway. But yeah. it would help if you just, you know, throw me something. So I really appreciate when, you know, like you got, you know, you, you yourself and yeah. other people on Patreon do throw me a few bucks here and there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I, and I feel that same sentiment just in terms of, you know, 
and, and that's another paradox of cartooning as well. You know, just in addition to it just being so labor intensive, you almost do have to give so much of yourself in order to not necessarily just please the, the, the consumer, but also to overcompensate for the, the stigma that I think a lot of people, even still with the success of comic book movies and all that, there's still that stigma that a lot of people wouldn't touch a, a you know, a, a, a damn comic book, man. Like, what? what? I, I'll watch it on the screen. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to read one. Are you crazy? You know, that type of thing. I think it's kind of coming back. And I do see, I, I feel like we are in a good place. Like, if, if, you know, I wouldn't want to live at any other time as, as far as comics go, because. I, like me personally, I do do really well because of like social media. Yeah. I do do really well because you know like publishers are t- kind of taking a chance on terms of like different art styles. Maybe not art, maybe not stories, but at least art styles. They're looking at uh, different looks. So for me, I've I've benefited from and I and I, I kind of and, and I think like anecdotally, I do see more people just like day to day. Like I, I went to a bar the other day. Mm-hmm. And I saw the and they're just reading like a Civil War comic back there. Oh wow! You know, I'm just like, hmm. I asked him like, "What are you reading?" He's like, "Oh, I'm just reading that Civil War stuff." I'm like, hmm. I didn't want to get into it, like you know, that that shit was corny, but yeah, <laughs> like, good, for you. good for you. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you're right. There's there's rays of hope out there, you know, often in unexpected places, you know, um, and, and I guess people do do tend to see though like you know cartooning and comics is still like like this little niche and i think it goes back to what we were discussing um a little while ago just about that that loser mentality like like you almost um like i do feel like the industry at times places itself within a ghetto within a ghetto (laughs) you know like we're already working in comics and then the next sub-level inside of that is not only are we working in comics but you know we do have all of these conditions within a certain facet of the industry that are just you know um, um, really boiling really boiling over but we don't want to expose that to the outside world unless you're in the know or unless you know where to look for that information but but even with all that you are right man you are right just in terms of you know now it's probably one of the best times ever, you know, in the history of the medium, at least in this country, you know, to get yourself out there. And if you're willing to do the legwork and everything, man, you can, you, you can get your stuff out there, you know? Well, like there's a, that reminds me of what you just said right now. There's this, this old quote about like academia, but it applies to this. And it's like, uh, the academic politics is the most vicious and bitter form of politics because the stakes are so low. Mm. In comics, you have like, this situation where we're all fighting for this, you know, small piece of a pie. It's a very niche type of thing where we're doing. It's a niche thing that we read. Not many people read it, but even less people actually do it for a living. Yeah. You know, if you think of, like, recently they had that, um, someone did a survey of, of, of cartoonists, like professional working cartoonists, and the average, like, the majority of people working in comics, I think it was like 50% of the people responded. We're only making twelve k a year. From I their saw comics. that. Yeah, I saw that. Twelve thousand dollars a year. That's you know poverty level. So you know, assume, you know, you're assuming that they're doing other things, but some of these people aren't doing other things. 
Anyway, so we're all working in this industry where to be middle class, it like it's a little bit ruthless, you know. Like so, no wonder that you know the gatekeepers are keeping you know are so, um, are so uh, what's the word for it? Like they freak out when anyone criticizes criticizes them. That like no wonder that you have like these older cartoonists reacting like so venomously when people on Twitter are like surpassing them just because they talk a little bit more and they don't even know how to use social media because they're a little bit out of the loop. Yeah. Like, because they have so much to lose because there's not so much to win in this. You know, we're both trying to just get like a, a, a shitty sandwich over here. And it's like, come on, let me get the bread. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Chris Rock is like, how much is a rim? Just one rim. <laughs> like, well, like, let me get like a, a sip of, just one sip of the soda machine. Like, no, no. Don't sell that here. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. You know, and, and it does seem that way sometimes, you know. Um, and, and, and I just wonder, man, like, like, like to you, like to you, as as we begin to wrap up, where do you where do you feel like the the future of comics is? I know this is a broad question, so let me try to you know refine it a bit. By the future of comics, I mean for yourself personally, you know, um, definitely, um, I'm sure you want to make a living wage and do this for a living, of course. But do you do you see like the future of comics getting to a point where? It is somewhat more um, equitable, you know. And I know I'm, I'm talking fairy tales here, but I, I there has to be some type of equalizer. Like I, I would think that being available online, uh, having the ability now with the same equipment and programs at home that the professionals have, you would think that more people maybe take it upon themselves. Like, hey, let me give this a shot, you know. Like, like, like. What, where do you personally feel like, you know, the future of comics, you know, in, in this particular industry, you know, is going, man? Um, maybe, like, there's things that I want. Yeah. And, and there's things how I think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. What I would want to happen is a more, like, rigorous appreciation of comics in the wider culture and just American culture so that, like, magazines and newspapers and different media companies have a, a, a lasting interest in comics. And not just like, oh, this is just the, the new hot thing, but like, no, this is actually something that we can invest in and get a return on. So like, in the same way as like, you know, you know, and we see it now, like how a lot of comics being optioned for like film and stuff. Yeah. But I think more... Stuff that's like, oh, let's just have a com- let's just make comics just because comics are valuable to our culture, and then, you know, I guess in the way that comics are appreciated in, like, say, in Europe or like in, uh, like, you know, Japan or Korea, exactly, you know, it's, it's more just like part of life. You know, people just read comics. That's what I would want to happen. Uh, I think in some ways it kind of is happening, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I worry that that will happen. But the same voices are excluded. Today will be excluded tomorrow. Hmm, and you know that that's similar to to what I thought as well. Just you know, like what what do you think it would take? And again, I know this is very broad, but like, 
what what do you think it would take to make that a more level playing field? Like, um, obviously, you can get your stuff out there via crowdfunding and, you know, other outlets like that. But, you know, I don't know. Like, like what do you think it would take in terms of making it more equitable within um, the, the comics well, industry proper? Personally, I think rigorous criticism, uh, unrelenting you know, non-negotiable positions where you're just like, this is how it's got to be, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna settle for less. Um, being loud, being proud, and and just not accepting less than what you deserve. And I think part of the problem is like you have to work twice as hard as the people who just you know slipped on in just to be taken seriously but to me that that's that's a problem but at the same time it's not a problem because i don't mind working twice as hard i don't mind the idea of fighting just to just to get by mm-hmm. and i hope that you know more people decide to fight more people decide to take this you know take the you know because we're talking about like comics we're talking about pop culture we're talking about you know entertainment and people a lot of people might dismiss that that's not that's not, you know, important. Like, you know, why is why does it matter people's voices in entertainment? I'm like, because entertainment is what everyone does when they're not working. Mm. It's pretty much all our when when we were around fires, when we were cavemen, we hunted, and then when <laughs> we we're done, we just told stories. Entertainment is what makes us human. You don't see other animals having story time after they they feast on the gazelle. But we do. We make a whole story about the gazelle. We put a funny hat on it, and then we call it Disney. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very important to treat our pop culture, our passing entertainment, as important to our humanity, and so important to our humanity that a fight for equality in that is just as important as a fight for equality in all aspects of our life. That all parts of our life that make us human, all you know, whether it's like workplace equality or whether it's you know story time equality, all these things have to be treated with. Why are there only one group of people that get to control this? Why is you know why do one group of people get to control our fates with this? So I think continuing to criticize, continuing to be honest, and and looking at the industry with you know, with, with care and compassion, but also without without mercy. And that might sound like a Nazi moron, but I don't think it is. I think that's what's going to get us to to a point where I'll be, you know, I'll be if I have kids, I'll be happy for them to be cartooning. That concludes this episode of Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson. Any feedback or comments are always appreciated. You can email the show at artistproofpodcast at gmail.com. Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson is a production of Inazuma Studios, LLC. Copyright 2015.